Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody, this is Liz. Before we get into today's episode of The Forecast, we just wanted to mention that this episode was recorded before the protests in reaction to the shooting of Jacob Blake began to take place. Obviously, these protests have fueled conversations within professional sports and the nation at large. Our omission of the topic has nothing to do with our feelings about it. It was simply about timing. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Lozan. Joining me today are Andy Behrens and Matt Harmon. Gents, what do you guys say to a fantasy cram session? Because believe it or not, football's happening in two weeks. Yeah, um, I, I have a home league that just came together last night and the commissioner seemed surprised that football was happening and happening relatively soon, right? Um, some of this is just the, the sports calendar, like... Baseball started a month ago and the NBA playoffs are in the first round right now. So, like, it should be May. It should be late April or May. That's when those things happen. Uh, we've had no preseason football. So, yeah, it's snuck up on people. But I think I think we're slowly creeping in and, and it's going to launch. Matt, are any of your leagues talking about how they're going to accommodate the challenges that this particular year are is presenting? I feel like a lot of people really are, like Andy said, just kind of coming around to like, oh, this thing is really going to happen, you know, and I, I feel like that sort of to to a degree too. like, oh, man, this thing is, you know, it's in a couple weeks like this is this is and it feels so we <laughs> feels so weird. Right. Because like Andy said, m- other sports are mixing in when they're really not supposed to. There's no preseason games like we're not getting all excited about, you know, an eight yard Darwin Thompson run or something like that. Your internal <laughs> clock is all off. You know, usually the text I'm getting in, you know, mid July or something I'm starting to get now. So I think it's it's going to be much like how the NFL has had to sort of ram this thing through in terms of training camp and everything like let's speed it up let's get the installs in quickly let's like go to live tackling and then and then like jump right into games totally unprepared I feel like a lot of fantasy managers are going to be doing the same thing yeah it's hard enough to keep track of the days as it is uh it's another thing to ask to keep track of the sports calendar so my my home leagues have been very much the same as yours so everyone listening to this you are not alone if all of a sudden, to use Andy's words, you feel like the season has snuck up on you because it has for everybody. We know you've been understandably distracted. And if you're trying to figure out what to do in your fantasy draft, then we are here for you. This next hour is, in fact, custom tailored for you. Here's the idea for today. 
I want you to think of it as like a fantasy cram session. We've got about 60 minutes and we're going to try to pack in as much advice as we can into that time. So here's what we're going to talk about. What to do in your first round. Some players we really love at their current ADPs. Some players whose values we really don't dig. Some guys to target at the end of draft. I'm going to talk to team physician from USC Trojans. Um, I'm going to talk to the I'm going to talk to Dr. Alex Weber, who's the team physician for the USC Trojans and the LA Kings. He's going to give us some injury insights ahead of this crazy, unprecedented season. And then we're going to close things out with some final strategies and predictions. All right, guys, start the clock. Let's get going. Let's cram. First round. What do you do? Your first pick sets the tone for your whole draft. It's the pick you definitely want to nail. So let's quickly read through the first 20 players coming off the board in Yahoo Drafts. Obviously, number one, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry. No surprise, first five are all running backs. Then things shift a little bit. You've got Michael Thomas at at number six, followed by Dalvin Cook. Oh, number eight, Patrick Mahomes, the first quarterback being selected. Heading back to the running back position with Joe Mixon, then Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Nick Chubb, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Lamar Jackson, Kenyon Drake, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, our first rookie at the 17 spot, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders. Those are our first 20 players. Now, does anyone here, Matt, I'll start with you, just simply not belong or one of these guys like someone that you're like how did this creep in how did this player creep into the top 20 no honestly I feel like that's a pretty good group here the only thing I would say is you know I have George Kittle ahead of Travis Kelsey as my top tight end we've got Kelsey at 18th overall uh if you're taking a tight end in that second round range which I think is totally cool to do this year I think Kittle's got just like absolutely monstrous upside you know we've been asking the question which wide receiver uh benefits you know from this Debo Samuel injury early and then like every other 49ers receiver has gotten hurt since I feel like (laughs) the answer might just be more George Kittle I think he could be up for just like a historic season this year. So that that would be the only thing I have. And, you know, of course, obviously it's, do you really want to spend an early round pick on a quarterback? We have two in the top 20. It's not my move, but I think these two guys are as good a bets as any, if you're going to take someone in that range. Love the Kittle talk, by the way, same, same. going to talk about that a little bit later in strategy. Also, Manuel Sanders no longer there. So that's another body, um, another group of targets that have been vacated. Andy, do you have any issues with any of these 20 players or does everything look pretty okay to you? Uh, first of all, I think it's pretty amazing that we have four Chiefs going in the first 18 picks. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember many situations. There there might have been a year where we were taking Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Robert Smith, and Randall Cunningham in the first two rounds. Like, this almost never happens. Like, some of the best offenses of the last 30 years have given us three first and second round picks, but four is, and they all belong. Like they totally all belong. Um, I could move up Clyde Edwards Hilaire 10 spots and feel pretty good about it. And I think that's probably, I think what you're seeing right now is like a snapshot in time. And what is probably happening right now, if you're drafting is Edwards Hilaire is going to go, if not first half of the first round, middle of the first round where he should be. Yeah. As more and more drafts start to set their times and more and more mocks are taken. Obviously, this ADP is going to shift, and I I think you're absolutely right. Let's start, you know, I mentioned that the first five players are all running backs. Every year we talk about the running back position being volatile and thin and, you know, petering out rather quickly. Where in the first round specifically 
do you start to consider taking a wide receiver over a running back? I will say for myself, I don't mind taking a wide receiver ahead of Derrick Henry. To me, Derrick Henry is, I think you're drafting him at peak value right there. You're expecting him to do exactly what he did last year, which is a tough ask. But again, if anyone has proven to be a statistical anomaly, it is Derrick Henry. So I understand why one would feel compelled to take him at the five spot. I'm okay differentiating about there though. Andy, what about you? Yeah, if it's a if it's a full PPR format, and that's not Yahoo default. Yahoo default is half PPR. If it's a full PPR format, I'm pretty interested in Michael Thomas at four. Um, that is where I have generally taken him. the The gap between Michael Thomas and the number two fantasy receiver in full PPR last year was 98 points. Yeah. Like it's a crazy <laughs> gap, and obviously that's a historic record setting season. But the year before, which is maybe more likely for Michael Thomas this year, was still 125 catches and. 1400 yards like he's pretty solid in a PPR format uh I'll just say that and then in half PPR I'm I'm with you I I would still have Thomas over Derrick Henry Henry basically has to score 16 or 18 touchdowns in a half PPR format in, in order to justify that sort of draft position because I mean we can we can do a little wish casting and hope that Derrick Henry someday is going to catch 40 passes because things go well when they throw screen passes to him right but it it just hasn't mm-hmm. happened to this point so I'm not going to I'm not going to bank on that and and price it in yeah, just to throw some more uh, Derrick Henry talk in here, too. Over the last four years, the fantasy running back eight in PPR formats has averaged just over 251 points uh, per season. That's already three spots below Henry's ADP that we're talking about here as the running back five. <laughs> and just 11 running backs out of the 301 to have cleared 250 points since the merger have recorded fewer than 20 catches, which obviously Henry did last year. So, I mean, you are really banking on an insane outlier. I kind of do tend to think that he can get to maybe the 35 range this year only because mm-hmm. number one I think the Titans are going to be throwing it more because they're not going to be just these you know absolute great game scripts for running the ball Deion Lewis as much as Deion Lewis is you know really not a factor in any of our minds anymore he is out of the picture Darrington Evans is is kind of just he's, he's picking it up slow in camp so far so I mean we're never going to see Henry be a featured pass catcher but I think I feel comfortable enough to take him at five over a wide receiver like Michael Thomas, or I have Devontae Adams as my top receiver. So then I think you're starting to think of those two receivers over, you know, my running back six, which is Clyde Edwards Hilaire or Dalvin Cook or any of these other guys after that. Matt, I want to stick with you because we're going to talk about those players who are burdened, if you will, with the first overall pick as our quasi resident Panthers fan. What are your (laughs) expectations for Christian McCaffrey in a new offense with a new quarterback and a new head coach. Well, two things there, Liz, you actually did a really good podcast uh, recently and your guests highlighted that, you know, they were, I think you, you might be able to talk about it more than I could, but highlighted that, you know, the number one running back overall has never repeated, you know, in, in multiple seasons, the last decade, something like that, I think it was. So, I mean, the odds are very good, you know, last year coming into the season, I think, Saquon Barkley went number one overall in 75% of Yahoo drafts. Like, And this will be even more consensus of the top guy going first overall in this year's draft. So the odds are pretty good that, you know, McCaffrey finishes this like running back three, running back four, running back five. Uh, And also, like we talk about continuity so much. You mentioned it. There's no team that has worse continuity this year than the Carolina Panthers. They have a new starting quarterback, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, and new defensive coordinator. I believe they're the only 
NFL team that boasts that much uh, transition from last year to this year. So at the end of the day, though, there's really no other than just he's not going to probably be the top scoring running back again. There's probably, you know, a lot of transition in, in the offense. There's really no holes that you can poke in McCaffrey's outlook. I mean, he's been an absolute workhorse the last two years. I think this offense is going to throw the ball a ton. I think they're going to play really fast. I wouldn't be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater, if he plays a 16-game season, leads the NFL in pass attempts. And the Panthers were already pass-heavy last year, too. So there's really no holes you can poke in McCaffrey's outlook. It's just you have to realize, like, maybe don't uh, cry yourself to sleep in a few months from now if he finishes as the running back three, because that's just kind of what tends to happen. Right. It was um, Mauricio Gutierrez of Estadio Fantasy that came on the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast a couple of weeks ago and noted that stat that I believe over the and you and you included it in your running back tiers article, which everyone should definitely check out on the website um, that over the past decade, only two running backs have managed to only two RB ones from fantasy purposes managed to finish within the top five in uh, again, the second season. So um, I also want to add that our very own Scott Pianowski has fearlessly forecasted Christian McCaffrey for 103 catches, 200, uh, 2,044 total yards and 13 touchdowns. That's about 350 yards and six touchdowns fewer than he posted in 2019. It's going to be interesting because, Matt, I think you're when you're talking about these Panthers throwing a lot more, you're alluding, obviously, to the ultra green defense and the need for them to make up for that deficiency, but also... Uh, accounting for the addition of Robbie Anderson, it makes things a little bit a, a little bit murkier. This defense looks horrible on paper. I mean, let's yeah. not let's not pull any punches. <laughs> like honestly, I feel like I got a pretty good grasp on a lot of NFL players. I feel like I got a pretty good grasp on a lot of these <laughs> rosters because it's my job. And I mean, the Panthers, especially, like you mentioned, I've got some sort of weird attachment to that team. Yikes! I don't know who a lot of these goofballs are back there. So I mean, it's it's going to be quite. Uh, a, a messy year from a defensive perspective. I don't think they're going to be in a lot of positive game scripts. And they do have the weapons. I think they've got the guys on offense to be a pass-leaning team. And I think that's the strength mm-hmm. of their team. So, yeah, I think they're going to. I think they're just going to be pushing the ball a lot because not only do they need to, I think they also kind of want to as well. Andy, switching to you as the only analyst in the game to successfully predict Lamar Jackson's QB1 season last year. <laughs> Here's the question for you. Is there a real case for any quarterback to go in the first round ever, even Mahomes and the aforementioned Jackson? Yeah, I, I can tell you that historically, it has always been a bad idea. Um, we <laughs> like Historically, we can come up with reasons why this should happen. Um, we, we People have made the case for Michael Vick. They've made the case for Andrew Luck. They've made the case for Peyton Manning. I remember a case for Cordell Stewart, for Dante Culpepper, right? Like these things, these things have happened throughout time um, and it never works out. Uh, it, it didn't work out for, for Brady when he was coming off the greatest quarterbacking season in history. I, I will say in the case of Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, we have a guy who put up uh, the highest scoring season total in quarterbacking history, right, for fantasy purposes. And then in Lamar Jackson, the highest per game average that anybody has ever put up. Uh, in fact, Jackson last year, that the per game scoring difference between him and the number two quarterback was greater than the per game scoring difference between the number two and the number 24 quarterback. So it was a huge, massive, stupid positional edge to own Lamar Jackson last year. Um, that said, like, is he actually going to back that up? 
are all those passing touchdowns going to be there? Maybe it doesn't matter if he's running for 1200 yards. Maybe it doesn't matter. I like a little part of me believes that Lamar Jackson is just a different sort of iteration of the quarterback position. And it can happen again. Maybe not, maybe not almost 30 fantasy points per game, but something like 24, 25. And yeah, that would justify an early pick. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't blink when somebody takes either Mahomes, who's the best quarterback in the game today, or Lamar Jackson in, in the first couple rounds. Um, but again, like historically, it hasn't worked out well. And the, the whole idea is to find that next Lamar Jackson. I don't know that there's going to be a next Lamar Jackson. I don't know that anybody in the game beyond, you know, beyond him or Mahomes can put up those kind of numbers. But the idea is to find the value, the guy that you can take as like the QB8, QB10, who produces a top three finish. So then who is that person for you? Who do you find yourself drafting when you are waiting on the position? Yeah, if it's anyone, um, it's Kyler Murray, right? Like I feel Kyler Murray, although we've then priced... you're not waiting that long. Then then you're not. Yeah, waiting that's particular. the thing. We've we've built some of that into his uh, in, into his draft cost because he goes off the board as like the QB five, the QB six, um, mm-hmm. but he is several he is several rounds after Lamar Jackson. If if somebody in your hometown league is taking Lamar Jackson or Mahomes at the end of round one, early in round two, which is about where they go. Um, you are at least going to be able to get Kyler Murray in like round five, round six. Josh uh, Allen, and, just take Josh oh, Allen, Andy. Oh no! Oh no! This is a <laughs> terrible response. We either need to edit this out or we need to squash this right now. Josh Allen's so bad. Um, like I get it. I get bad. it with Josh Allen. I get it with the rushing yards. Um, what what a what an abysmal college quarterback who has been a brutal passer. It's a great situation in terms of uh, the receiving core. Love that. I, I got my I got my issues with Josh Allen though because if it, so far to this point in his NFL career if he doesn't run for a touchdown he can't help you he's never thrown for 270 yards in a game it drives me uh, yeah I have I have issues with Josh Allen I have to rank him inside the top ten right because he's gonna run for six seven eight touchdowns just um, talk the, to me when he's QB three this year Andy I'll talk oh, I'll talk no. to you in the winter oh no I'm ill <laughs> <laughs> some Nick Chubb. Um, truthers fans are feeling a little <laughs> bit peaked themselves considering that Kareem Hunt's role and at least like the hype around him continues to build right uh, there's been some beat reporters who have said that both Chubb and Hunt will receive 15 carries a piece that starts to limit Chubb's upside and adds to Hunt's upside I wrote an all ups- all upside team article and Kareem Hunt was the flex on that article I don't know how you can't love him where he at least was going again now that that ADP has started to climb um what's your take on this backfield in Cleveland understanding of course that Kevin Stefanski a Kubiak acolyte will be focusing more on the run in a league that remains very much a passing league. Uh, well, I think Nick Chubb is about as good as it gets uh, as a as a runner, right? Like I, I think he's I think he's absolutely top tier. the The concern, obviously, is that as soon as Kareem Hunt entered the picture last year, uh, that guy took all the receptions out of the backfield, right? Uh, Nick Chubb caught I think it was I think it was eleven balls in the second half of the season after Kareem Hunt returned. And if it looks anything like that this year, and again, new coaching staff and some grownups on the coaching staff, like we have every reason <laughs> to think that this is going to be like a, a more legit coaching staff with with actual uh, like sensible plays called near the goal line. That should be fun. Um, but if it looks anything at all like last year, Kareem Hunt took a lot of those receptions. Um, I still think Nick Chubb near the goal line should be a dominant player and can win a rushing title still. Like, 
I'm, I'm going to be surprised if it's anything close to a 50-50 split, because I think there is a, a, a real edge uh, for Nick Chubb in terms of the ability to just run the football. Like there's, it, It's him and it's Saquon and it's not many other guys that I would put in that upper tier of just pure early down runners. I agree with his talent, but he was, and you can't deny the facts, when in week 10 Hunt was at it, he was just less effective. Yeah in the red area of the field. And that was, he wasn't nearly as efficient. I mean, he received more red zone totes, an average of three and a quarter per game, but he only converted two scores. Hunt managed more touchdowns. Admittedly, you're right. The receiving work certainly helped him out in that regard. But are we willing to say, well, it was the end of the year and it was very long year for the Browns. And Andy, I know that you always say, and I have adopted this as my own motto, talent is the tiebreaker. And so Chubb should remain a, you know, end of the first round, early second round pick, depending on how, how players are falling in drafts. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking him at the end of the first round uh, and have not been like, if he, if he's fallen to me in the middle of the second round, that's the point at which I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with some, some second and third tier backs. And again, the upside I think for Chubb is, is always going to be a rushing title. Um, I, I think that's definitely in play for him, but Hun is Hun is just a huge factor. I mean, he's a gifted receiving back who I I think if you prorate his season last year, it's about seventy catches, mm-hmm. and that's workload that is clearly not going to to Nick Chubb if Nick if both are healthy. So we're talking about different players and their ADP. Let's start talking about players we really like at their current ADP. And Matt, I want you to kick things off with because when I saw this answer. I had some feelings about it. (laughs) I mean, nobody knows more than Liz Loza how out I've been on Ronald Jones his first couple of years in the league. But I love where he's going this year. And let's just be honest. You don't even have to to love the player. And there are some like true diehard, you know, Rojo fans. And and that's great. You don't even have to really be one of those to to really like him in fantasy this year. And I think that the, the pros for Ronald Jones way outweigh the cons at this point because you know Keyshawn Vaughn the rookie who had a lot of hype at the end of the NFL draft he's like falling completely behind like nobody's talking about this guy anymore uh LaShawn McCoy is is dust you know in my opinion I don't think he has much left to offer and really they've not stopped you know pumping up Ronald Jones since then. It sounds like the coaching staff, the front office, everybody is completely behind this guy. You know, his teammates are talking about him too. I just think, look, you don't have to, you, there's really nothing that you have to give up in order to, in order to get him on your team this year. I have him at running back 24. I think he's a perfect guy that if you go, if you just never like the running backs early on your team, you know, or where you're going in drafts and you're typically picking, you know, the George Kittle or Travis Kelsey group. You're picking some of these wide receivers because the value is just really good. I think Jones is a perfect sort of safe, low ceiling uh, RB2 on your team because he really has everything that you want. You know, he looks like he's got the starting job locked in. He's going to be a three down back, most likely. I don't think he's ever going to be a great receiver, but he's probably going to be out there on third downs. And he's playing on an offense that I think most of us expect to be pretty good. You don't have to project them to be a top five offense or anything, but I think it'd, it'd be very unrealistic to expect this offense with this coaching staff, with this quarterback, and with all of the talent around them to be, you know, outside of the top 15 or something. So you can get a starting running back on a likely top 15 offense way in the mid ranges of the draft. I just think the pros outweigh the cons for this guy, no matter what you think of him as a player. This is a strategical pick for you then. This is this is a looking around at what is available to me at the time 
I appreciate that this player is available. And I will say I am I appreciate that Vaughn, the Vaughn hype has quelled because if he's not good, <laughs> he fell out of favor at U of I. He wasn't particularly flashy at Vandy. When I looked at my notes, my rookie notes on him, my first word that I wrote was yeah, Meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ambition outweighs talent. Like he's not great. I think everybody remembered the quote that uh, Arian said heading into the draft about wanting a pass catching running back. And they were like, well, this, this, this guy then. Right. But it is nice to see that he's fallen out of favor. My only worry about Jones. And again, when you're looking at his current ADP, this is not as much of a concern is that Tom Brady is going to actually pick which running back is back there. And if Jones doesn't start to improve, I don't think Brady's going to have the patience for that and might in fact prefer a vet like McCoy. I mean, also Bruce Arians, as much as we want to think that McCoy was is dust. I mean, he was a scratch in the Super Bowl, right? Like as much as we want to appreciate that Bruce Arians was running out Chris Johnson, uh, Chris yep. Johnson yeah. until Thanksgiving, until he broke his leg <laughs> in favor of David Johnson. So I'm just a little bit worried that this isn't going to shake out as consistently as people are expecting. However, at the end of the eighth round, if I'm taking a running back, I hear your argument there. Yeah, it's a total ADP argument. You know, it's, it's the guys I like at their ADP, and that I do really like where he's going because you're not locking him into like this is going to be one of the foundations of my fantasy team. But I think in terms of just like, you know, a risk management situation where he's going, there's just not a ton of risk there. And there is a lot of reward if things do go right for this player. So we're talking about these players and we're talking about their ADPs. But I want to skew positive a little bit. I want to talk about players we really like at their current ADP. Andy, I'm going to start with you. Talk to me about a particular running back going in the fourth round. Yeah, listen, I get I get Mark Ingram everywhere. Um, I, I feel like there's uh, the J.K. Dobbins factor has just been built into his average draft position, right? Like we're all expecting big things from Dobbins. He's a wonderful collegiate player, a 2000 yard back. Great. He's the future of the running back position for Baltimore. Um, I, listen, Mark Ingram scored 15 touchdowns last year. He averaged five yards per carry. And when something works spectacularly well for a team, not just like pretty well, but when something works spectacularly well for a team, I, I just never expect them to veer away from it. So I, like Ingram is on the wrong side of 30. There's a lot to worry about long term. But in 2020, Mark Ingram is still going to be the guy. The other thing about Ingram last year is that he could have done more, except Baltimore just kept blowing people out. They kept rolling up 40 point halves and, and then Mark Ingram would sit like there is a there is definitely a path for Mark Ingram to again give us double digit touchdowns incredible efficiency the the Ravens ran the ball like a hundred more times than any team in the NFL so there's plenty of volume here even when they get Dobbins involved uh, Ingram was a top eight fantasy back last year and he can do the same this season it's interesting Matt because Andy is talking about a player that worked out spectacularly well to quote last year so why move away from him and yet you're going to talk about a player who has done nothing spectacular <laughs> except suck and no one wants to move away from him I mean Liz come on <laughs> you're you're this is your guy Ronald Jones and like to be fair he was all right last year you know when you look at the totality of the picture oh, over Matt, 30 hold catches on, hold on. I'm going to quote you I am going to quote you Bruce Arians came out of retirement to start Peyton Barber <laughs> yeah, right. I get it. I mean, look, it wasn't the smoothest sailing ride, but I'm going to say he hasn't been 
hideous so far as an NFL player. And look, the, the, the deal with Ronald Jones this year is you don't even have to be one of the Rojo uh, fan club members like you are, Liz, to really like the player because his ADP is so attractive right now. And that's what I really like about this guy because, look, here's the deal. Like, I think we we can decide whether you really think the Bucks are going to be some elite offense under Tom Brady, but they're probably going to be at least a top 15 unit, right? I mean, with these receivers, with Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich calling the show, I think this is going to be a productive offense. And you can really get the starting back for this offense. And I do expect Ronald Jones to be the clear starting back because Keyshawn Vaughn is completely kind of fallen out of the picture here because, you know, he, he's just he's starting slow. He's a rookie that was on the COVID list for a while. That's not to be, you know, it's not unexpected. I don't think LaShawn McCoy is a gigantic threat, and, and they haven't been talking about LaShawn McCoy as if he's a gigantic threat to Ronald Jones's job. The team still seems like they're really behind this guy. And you can get a, star, a starting running back on a very good offense it like way after the sixth round. So you don't have to project Ronald Jones to be some sort of, you know, 400 touch back to really be a very good value where he's going in drafts right now. So I think especially if you're, and if you end up starting wide receiver heavy, like you didn't just like the running backs where they were coming to you or in the early rounds, maybe you went George Kittle, you need some more running back help. I think Jones is a very safe pick because no matter, again, no matter what you think about the player, I'm not, I'm not saying he's, going to be a superstar running back or anything but the pros right now for ronald jones fantasy outlook way way outweigh the con- the cons especially where he's going in drafts so rojo has a great situation and a depressed adp i am i will say i am grateful that the Keyshawn vaughn hype has quelled because newsflash he's not that great forget reps <laughs> like he's also just not particularly good <laughs> I am a little bit worried about Bruce Arians' affinity for a veteran running back, which we saw illustrated via Chris Thompson uh, running ahead of Dave Johnson, David Johnson, until like, you know, Thanksgiving, basically. I'm a little bit worried about Bruce Arians being fickle in that manner, but you make excellent points all around about not liking necessarily the player, but loving the position. I'm going to talk about a player that I think all three of us undeniably dig. It's Keenan Allen. Y'all... He's a wide receiver one. I don't know who needs to know this. He has also been wildly consistent, having gone over 1,000 yards and managing at least a wide receiver 12 fantasy finish for three consecutive seasons. Per PFF, he's also posted the fourth best receiving grade in the NFL since 2017. Now, I am aware that there's a change in quarterback for the Chargers. That has crossed uh, through my news ticker. I I got it. But I also feel like Keenan Allen is incredibly talented. He's a he's a wide receiver one, an incredible route runner, a technician. And when you have Mike Williams dealing with a sprained shoulder, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for the rest of this receiving core. I'm going to take the wide receiver one, and I do think that Tyrod can check down to him regularly. He's going at the top of the sixth round. That is wild value for a player this talented. 
Yeah, if Tyrod's the quarterback that he was in Buffalo, like this whole outfit is undervalued. And people are projecting like the Chargers to lose a hundred pass attempts off their total from last year. I don't think so. If you can get you can easily project him for like five hundred forty and Keenan Allen gets a twenty three, twenty four percent share of that, he's gonna catch eighty five, ninety passes again. Great call. The overreaction is crazy. Like you just said, he's not gonna catch a hundred balls this year. Eighty five ninety for a thousand plus yards and six touchdowns. Absolutely. That is like a a wide receiver in the teens not the 20s. So I like him. I'm now, unfortunately, we have to talk about the opposite of loving, which is not hating, but maybe fading. Let's just temper that a little bit. There's enough macabre nonsense to deal with in this world. So let's talk about three players that we are fading again at their ADP. Doesn't mean we don't love the player, just don't like where they're going right now. Andy, you in fact do really like the player you want to talk about. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy watching Devin Singletary run like this is a good back. He was a 5.1 yard per carry guy last year. Uh, the the problems are that, you know, we need our fantasy running backs to catch passes and we need them to have a role at the goal line. Um, no matter how good they are between the 20s, like we need touchdowns, we need catches. And that's not really his thing. Um, he was a pretty inefficient receiver last season. And they bring in Zach Moss, who was a, just a wonderful collegiate receiver over multiple seasons. He's a bigger back. He's 220. He kind of fits that role that you, you that you think of when you think of a guy that, that you just feed the ball in goal-to-go goal situations. It, Moss is a perfect fit for the role that they were trying to give the rotting husk of Frank Gore last year, right? Like, Gore had... 18 carries inside the 10 yard line. Um, Josh Allen had 10 and uh, Devin Singletary had three. Like Devin Singletary had no role when they got near the goal line. Josh Allen, obviously a very good goal line rusher as well. Like that's just not going to be his job. And again, not a particularly adept receiver. So we have to project something like 25 to 30 catches for Singletary. Uh, very few touchdowns. Now, he's a good enough runner that he can score from 40 yards out, right? But we, we can't bank on that in fantasy. So I just don't think the touchdown total and the reception total are going to justify the the draft cost. Andy, I'm going to ask you just off the cuff here about another running back. What's your favorite hate stat for Leonard Fournette? In 2019? <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be the fact that Leonard Fournette caught 76 balls last season and not one of them became a touchdown. That's hard to do. Yeah, and that is why Leonard Fournette is the player that I want to fade in the third round. Are you bananas? As Andy just alluded to, his fantasy numbers were massively lifted by his work in the passing game this year, last year. And he is not going to see 100 targets again in 2020. Not with Chris Thompson reuniting with Jay Gruden and not with Tyler Eifert. Hello there. Sneaking onto the Jaguars roster. That means that most of his production is going to have to come from his what rushing work. But he's not good at that. Like, this is a player who managed 3.9 true yards per carry. That was RB40 last year. I understand the volume argument, and I would take him in, like, the fifth-ish round, top of the sixth maybe, but I am not drafting him ahead of Mark Ingram, who uh, Andy already hyped, or even Le'Veon Bell. Matt, you are known for receivers. You have um, had some up and down feelings about this player, probably because his production, despite so many years in the league, remains up and down. Yeah, look, I, I'm really excited about the Cowboys offense. I think Dak Prescott is 
you know, maybe not undervalued, but he's a really exciting player coming into 2020. And I think he could just be, I think he could be the top fantasy quarterback. And I don't think anybody should be surprised because his offense is that good. But that said, I don't want to be taking their top receiver, Amari Cooper, where he's going in drafts because look, the reality is I don't think the gap that exists between the ADP of Cooper to Michael Gallup or CeeDee Lamb is going to be as wide of a gap as their workload is. In fact, last year, Michael Gallup in the 14 games that he played had a higher percentage share of the team air yards and the team targets. And I don't think the talent gap between Cooper and Gallup is all that wide either. Gallup's a guy who had 1,100 yards and was a really consistent, steady route runner. Great at the contested catch game, too. And that's been a theme since he was a collegiate guy. I don't think the talent gap is that wide between these two guys, especially because, like you said, we know who Cooper is. Gallup is still an ascending player. And Cooper, you mentioned it. it it's the inconsistency. People always say, well, why is Mari Cooper so inconsistent? Why is the box score so up and down? Well, it's because he's an inconsistent <laughs> player. And I don't, I don't know why we should expect that to change this far into his career. There's always something going on. And look, the Cowboys have done a good job, you know, credit to the the crazy Jason Garrett coaching staff. They've actually done a pretty good job moving him around, you know, getting him in the slot, getting him as a flanker, move, moving him around pre-snap to do what he does best because he's just not a good, consistent route runner against press man coverage. That's why he disappears against guys like Darius Slay, Marshawn Lattimore, Jalen Ramsey, because he's not this elite route runner that some of the highlight clips from the Checkdown account or the NFL account would show you. And, and I think, again, I think at this point in his career, he is what he is. And I just don't see a situation where they have all this talent at wide receiver where it would be smart for them to funnel 140 targets to Amari Cooper, which is kind of what you're going to need to get a payback on where he's going in fantasy right now. So Amari Cooper went up and down and up and down. We started up, then went down, but we are going to finish on the up with three late round sleepers we love. Andy, I'm going to start with you. Since we talked about the Cowboys and Amari Cooper with Matt, tell me, what is the Blake Jarwin and what does he do in Dallas? <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me give me Blake Jarwin. So if I whiff on the early round tight ends, right, I, do, I don't get Kittle, I don't get Kelsey, maybe I take a look at Andrews or Ertz. If I don't get any of those guys, I'm I'm just I'm not messing with the minefield that exists between like five and 15. I'm going to take Blake Jarwin all day. Uh, the team paid him in the offseason. He was hugely efficient last year, about nine yards per target. Witten is gone. Randall Cobb is gone. Those are not spectacular names, but they they ate up about 160 targets last season. All of that is available both to CD Lamb and to Blake Jarwin. There's a path here for Blake Jarwin to see 100 targets. There, there might only be four or five tight ends in any given season who see 100 targets. Mm-hmm. And if he plays 16 games, he's going to be one of those dudes. So I think there's a pretty easy path here for him to finish as a top eight, top 10 fantasy tight end. Matt, if you don't throw a dart in the 11th round at Blake Jarwin and you want to maybe load up on receiver, who's a great value? And tell me why his team is going to surprise the rest of the NFC North in 2020. Well, I don't know about the Bears surprising anybody in the (laughs) NFC North in 2020. Don't try to sneak that one in there. But Anthony Miller, to me, really stands out among the receivers that are going in that range as a guy that is, number one, very talented and also has a very viable path to volume. And let's just start with the talent. Like, 
Anthony Miller, to me, he's been a reception perception superstar since he's come into the league. A guy that I think we've all kind of been waiting for him to fully break out. But there's been some injury issues. So you do have to account for that risk. But all that risk is baked into where he's going in fantasy right now. And really none of the ceiling that he possesses. Because we've actually seen this guy produce towards the end of last season. Just like we've seen Allen Robinson produce with Mitchell Trubisky. We've also seen Anthony Miller produce with Mitchell Trubisky as well. So if we get Nick Foles in there, we know there's a bigger ceiling for both of these guys guys if and when that does happen and Miller especially like again look at the rest of the Bears wide receiver depth chart Ted Ginn like Riley Ridley Cordero Patterson's moved to running back and you know you've got all the ghost of Jimmy Graham at tight end like the path to volume is very real for Miller I think you can conservatively conservatively project him for 90 targets and at that point at that position in the draft you're really really getting a good payback there absolutely love it i love that you pointed out when this player is healthy he produces from weeks 11 through 15 after getting healthy again last year he posted five consecutive fantasy relevant stat lines and averaged over 86 yards per game and that was again with mitchell trubisky Foles, i think gives this offense a little bit of a lift and despite the consecutive off-season shoulder injuries reports out of camper that Miller is healthy and looking good and that he crushed his rehab so I think that's a great pick I'm going to talk about someone that I think could break out in 2020 it's a rookie pick and it is not Justin Jefferson or Jalen Rager or even Michael Pittman who I also love it is Brian Edwards he is not being drafted say his name now because you're going to be saying a lot of it in December on tape he what stands out the most about him is his physicality. He's six foot three, two hundred and twelve pounds, an imposing presence, solid game speed, and strong hands. But when you look at him within the rest of that receiving core in Vegas, that sounds weird. The rest of the receiving core in Vegas. Huh? <laughs> wow. Um, Gotta get used to that. <laughs> yeah, Matt and I we have talked about uh, if you're looking at things from a which of these things is not like the the other's perspective. Edward stands out. I believe him to be, Matt has a different comp, but a Brandon LaFell-esque workman. Someone who can do the dirty work as the team's number two on the outside, allowing the star, that is Henry Ruggs, to get all of the big play glory. You've got Gruden talking about fast-tracking rookies. You've got Tyrell Williams already hurt and going to, quote, play through an injury for the rest of the season. That doesn't sound particularly great. And also Derek Carr talking about how he is very quickly gaining trust in Brian Edwards. I think he's going to stand out. I think he's a breakout and he is not even being drafted yet. Now, Liz, just because for our for our trillions of listeners who all threw up at the, the name Brandon LaFell, <laughs> yeah, okay. um, I think actually like a, a, a good comp for him, and I love this pick, is Michael Crabtree. Because you remember, you know, your boy Amari Cooper, we just talked about, you know, messing it up in contested situations and dropping the ball a ton back in Oakland. The reason Derek Carr always continued to gravitate to Crabtree and he would lead the teams in tar- team in targets despite everybody's hype on Cooper was he trusted Crabtree on those contested passes and those back shoulder throws. They really haven't had a receiver like that for Carr since Crabtree exited the picture. Whether it's LaFell or Crabtree, staying healthy <laughs> is <Brandon> key <laughs> to fantasy production. I've got numbers on that. We'll get back to it, but I've got numbers on it. Regardless, staying healthy is obviously key to fantasy production. And I spoke with Dr. Alex Weber, who's an orthopedic surgeon at USC, University of Southern California, to talk about some players and their 2020 outlooks from an injury POV. 
I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Alex Weber, Assistant Professor of Sports Medicine at the USC Department of Orthopedic Surgery and Team Physician for the USC Trojans, as well as the Los Angeles Kings, who are not in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But that's okay. It's not your fault, Dr. Alex. Thank you for joining us on the Yahoo Fantasy Cram Session. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Liz. Of course. Well, Dr. Alex and I have worked together through a series of five articles, which were titled Rest versus Rust. We looked at some specific players, but before we talk about some of those um, and get more in depth with individual players, I have to ask you, you know, obviously this is a wild, unprecedented offseason. What sort of concerns would you have in general for all of the players who are returning having not really experienced a regular offseason? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question and a little bit of an unknown. I think uh, high-level athletes are used to having a routine and a regimen. And for many of these athletes, having their typical offseason, getting the reps in, uh, whether it's at home uh, with throwing partners, practice partners, etc., to not have that and then to come into camp and be sped up a little bit uh, can throw you out of your routine. So certainly I have some concerns about that. Um, You know, I think the teams are all uh, taking the necessary precautions to build up endurance uh, slowly uh, so that we're not seeing overuse injuries. And I think, honestly, that they're probably learning somewhat from what's happening in the NBA bubble in terms of how they ramped up into competition um, and haven't seen a large number of injuries. So I'm optimistic that football will do something similar and that – Uh, We won't see a lot of overuse injuries, hamstring pulls, quad contusions, um, things of that nature. So when you say overuse injuries, you're referring generally to soft tissue issues like the hamstring pulls. Anything more serious than that, like Achilles rupturing, Achilles being ruptured or even ACL tears? Yeah, definitely. I mean, those are concerns uh, when athletes are not in their routine. They're thrown into uh, drills or activities that they're they're not ready for or prepared for. So absolutely, I think the things you mentioned can be concerns for teams. It's really important that athletes warm up well, um, get into practice, focus. And then probably the biggest thing we see is um, at the end of practice, when muscles are fatigued, um, those are the times where we start worrying about things like quad ruptures, patellar tendon ruptures, Achilles ruptures, and ACL tears. And when the muscles are fatigued, it puts more stress on the joints or the tendons. And that's when we see some of those more devastating injuries. And is there a position that might be more susceptible to one of these injuries? Or is it really dependent on an individual player's level of conditioning and regular routine? So I think uh, yes is the short answer. I'd say both. Um, okay. Yes, in the sense that any, of, any player is susceptible to these injuries. Um, but I'm more of a um, high energy, cutting, twisting athletes, our position players, skilled players. Uh, those are the ones that, um, you know, we really want to wash at the end of practice. Make sure if they're fatigued, they're coming off the field, uh, that they're not getting pushed too hard as things ramp up. So you're telling me that running back is going to be even more volatile in 2020. I think so. Is that what you're basically saying? I think so. Good to know. We're already on it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some specific players. Um, Cam Newton, obviously, has been an incredible offseason story returning or not returning, in fact, leaving Carolina and arriving in New England. 
shoulder injuries in the past, coming off of a Liz Frank issue. He missed all but two games in 2019, in fact, with that Liz Frank injury. So what are you expecting to see out of him from a health perspective? Again, factoring in how physical he is, how much mobility and rushing is a part of his game. Yeah, uh, I do think that um, he's had a number of injuries. You highlighted two of the uh, kind of high profile injuries for him. Uh, shoulder injury, shoulder surgery. Um, you know, he's come back and done very well from that. Um, the key uh, difference between his Liz Frank injury and I think uh, many that are career enders is that uh, in his case, the surgery is almost done as a precautionary measure, meaning when you injure the Liz Frank ligament in the foot, typically we see some widening in the bones uh, that that ligament connects. In his case, my understanding is that there wasn't any widening in the bones. Uh, and really, the surgery was done uh, uh, to make him feel comfortable, to stabilize the joint, and uh, give him the necessary comfort he needs to do the things that he does on the field. So, spoiler, you said in the article that we worked on together, profiling Cam, that you expect him to be, quote, 100% to start the season. Are you willing to go on record and say that again? I am. Hundred percent. All right. Yes. So here's what I think. Um, this is part medical, part football. Um, I think he's motivated. Um, I think we're seeing a, a motivated a Cam Newton. I think uh, last year was somewhat of a bust for him. So he's motivated to come out and show that uh, he deserves to be a starter in the NFL. He's working with an organization which is all business, uh, and I think those two things will really help him uh, as he gets ready for. Uh, the 2020-2021 season. Very good stuff. I love that. Let's switch gears and talk about another quarterback, Mm -hmm. one in Pittsburgh entering his age 38 season, Ben Roethlisberger. Now, this is a player who loves playing hurt. He loves telling everybody whenever he's hurt. In fact, he loves to play injured and then put on, I like to call it, his uh, his Steelers super cape and go out there. It's Ben Roethlisberger, obviously, that I'm re- referring to. He missed 14 games in 2019 after tearing three tendons in his elbow. Ben is important because he unlocks so much scoring potential in Pittsburgh with other players like you know, James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson all potentially benefiting. Where do you see Ben Roethlisberger starting and more importantly, ending 2020? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ben is, is a tough one. Um, I think the elbow will be great. He had great surgeons take care of him. Uh, I think it will be fully healed. Um, there may be some residual soreness and that's related to the mechanism or the, the injury itself, the nature of the injury. When you tear tendons off the bone, especially these on the inside part of the elbow, uh, these uh, tendons are very important in the throwing motion. Um, so he will have some soreness, I think, residually throughout the season. But I do think his accuracy and velocity will be there in terms of throwing the ball. Um, as we discussed in our article, my biggest concern for Ben is uh, the first thing you mentioned. Uh, the gentleman is 38 years old. Uh, that's a little old for uh, playing football. <laughs> And um, the nature in which he plays, he's not a Cam Newton in the sense that, uh, unfortunately, he does get hit often holding the football, um, but he's not making explosive plays down the field when he's doing that. You know, he's rumbling and stumbling. Uh, And I think there's some concern there for me as the body ages um, and you're taking more hits, even though he's a really big guy, I worry more so about some other type of injury occurring this 
this year, whether it's a concussion um, or a lower body injuries uh, that he's uh, sustaining while uh, being tackled. So you're saying you don't think his elbow is going to be re-injured, but it wouldn't surprise you if he suffers another injury and has to miss time because he's missed game time because there is rust to shake off and because he's at an advanced age. Yes, 100% agree. Jarvis Landry is another key player. He underwent an off-season hip surgery in February. He was removed from the pup list in early August. How are you feeling about his return? Obviously, the Browns are a team that are looking to rebound, so no. he's quite critical to that. Yeah, no, I think for Browns fans, um, I, I'm going to say I'm very optimistic about his return. I know the surgery that he had and the surgeon he had it with. Uh, Dr. Larson's a phenomenal surgeon. Um, and, um, I think he's, you know, he's already been on the record as quoted being ahead of, uh, his recovery timeline. And I think he's going to have a phenomenal season. You know, he, uh, played as many athletes do with the type of injury he had. He played for a season where it was really limiting him or dogging him. And I think to have full range of motion on the hip with limited pain, I think he's, uh, poised to play very well all season. A.J. Green is a receiver that cannot catch a break, it seems, over the past few seasons. I mean, this is a recurrent issue, it feels like, in terms of his durability or wearing down. I'm going to let you make the diagnosis on that. Yeah. But he missed, obviously, all of 2019 with an ankle injury that he suffered on the first day of camp. Now we've heard that he suffered a hamstring issue, so a soft tissue issue. In camp last Monday, he's been sidelined ever since. Zach Taylor, the head coach, says he's expected to come back onto the field, but this is a player who's 32 years old. Is he still and can he still be the best jump ball specialist in the game? Or are we are we yeah. are those are those days in the rearview mirror for him? Yeah, I'm going to be a little uh, more pessimistic with this one. I think um, there will be uh, glimpses of the old AJ Green, but I don't think we're going to see it for a full season. Uh, I think some of the nagging injury stuff is going to catch up with him. He's certainly injury prone, you know, getting a hamstring, coming back. Um, uh, and, and then I think we talked about this a little bit in the article, but with a rookie quarterback, um, some inaccurate passes, putting him in compromising situations. I just I, I think um, there will be there will be clips, but there won't be the full you won't see the full deal this year. Yeah, don't tell Andy Barons that Joe Burrow is going to be inaccurate at any moment. Also, fantasy tip. If A.J. Green isn't it this year, T. Higgins, who is an A.J. Green replicant, mm -hmm. a rookie, is someone that you should definitely keep an eye on in those lower rounds. You might have to stash him a minute because he has to, obviously, as a rookie, gain some reps. But I do expect him to midseason absolutely flash. So keep an eye on T. Higgins, especially if Green can't get on the field. Debo Samuel, versatile player, entering his sophomore season, went to the Super Bowl as a rookie. Incredible talent unfortunately fractured his foot while running routes in June. The timetable was 12 to 16 yeah. weeks, which would have had him returning uh, on week, in week one versus Arizona. But Coach Shanahan has said he's, quote, not counting on yeah. it. Yeah, I think this is, um, I think they're being very conservative because he's a stud star player. Um, uh, this is uh, not unlike Zion Williamson, in my opinion, um, mm. where... They're just going to be very cautious. They've got a talented player who can help them for years to come, and they're just not going to rush it. 
he had a great surgery with a great surgeon. He's doing really well. Um, that timeline for a Jones fracture is very, very conservative. And I think they're just taking their time to make sure he's 100% and uh, going to be a key contributor for years to come. Foot issues always tricky. Am I correct in assuming that they tend to be recurrent if rushed? Yeah, I think that's uh, where they're uh, really trying to avoid a misstep with him. No pun intended. Mm. But uh, um, th- the goal here is get him healthy, get the bone healed, not have any complications as he returns to full function. So I think this is just being conservative with the stud player. If fantasy managers are looking to be proactive about the Debo Samuel issue, Brandon Ayuk, who's a rookie with great yak ability, is someone to keep an eye on in the later rounds or maybe even someone if he doesn't make your bench in your draft to someone that you could elevate off the waiver wire if Samuel's foot issues don't clear up. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley is a player who has had recurrent issues. This knee issue... Obviously, has been uh, one that he struggled with since college. Frankly, yeah. we don't have, um, we don't really have a timetable on him because he's not currently injured, um, and he only missed one game in 2019 with a strained quad. But are you feeling he can hold up as the workhorse in Atlanta, given the recurrent knee issues? I'm going to go ahead and say absolutely not. Um, so here's my uh, take on oh. Todd Gurley. Uh, he's had a lot of knee issues, um, ACL tear, et cetera. Um, there's rumors of things like pretty advanced arthritis in parts of his knee. Todd Gurley is superhuman. The fact that he's played the way he has played given his knee situation. Uh, but I don't think uh, the knee is going to hold up to being the workhorse running back for a full season of football. Wow. Yeah. Well, my my dropper there. In. I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, it's good to know. I mean, right now, that potential risk is baked into his ADP, but obviously, the upside with a player as talented as Gurley, superhuman, yeah. as you said, is 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 interesting. So we'll have to move forward and see. Another running back, Sony Michelle, has a foot issue. Yeah. He underwent surgery for that foot in May. He's been on the pup list all offseason. Patriots running back coach Ivan Fears said Michael is no sure thing for week one. In fact, the team added Lamar Miller, who hasn't been on the field since 2018. He suffered an ACL, in fact, while he was with Houston yep. in 2018. As insurance, I personally like Damian Harris, a second-year player, to come in and swoop the job because even if Michelle isn't healthy, he also wasn't particularly effective or efficient last year. What's your take on Michelle? Yeah, so I tried to do a little research into this. I don't have as much information personally about the uh, most recent surgery. Uh, however, um They've been very vague about releasing any details, saying that it wasn't injury-related, that it was more maintenance or cleanup, uh, so to speak. However, the timeline of his return uh, leads me to believe that's not the case in the sense that um, there is something seriously troubling uh, with this foot injury because he hasn't been on a six- to eight-week timeline. He's been on a 10- to 12-week timeline, which is now being pushed a little bit further. So something is not well there. Uh, He's also a player who's had uh, many knee injuries in the past. Uh, And when you start seeing foot, 
knee injuries in the same uh, running back athlete, you start to worry about, is this breaking down? Are the mechanics of his gait and how he runs breaking down? And the knees are now leading to adjacent joint problems uh, in the foot and ankle. So I would be a little bit cautious uh, around him this year. Patriots organization, usually tight-lipped, particularly about injuries. So all of that lines up. Also, like I said, Damian Harris in the 14th round. Go grab him, stash him. He's going to be the breakout this year. Thank you so much, Dr. Weber, for joining us. Go ahead and follow Dr. Weber on social. Where can they follow you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Dr. Alex Weber uh, on Twitter and Alex Weber MD at uh, Instagram. Thanks very much, Liz. Thank you. Matt, Andy, what the doc said about Sony Michelle. I am leaning very much into the Damian Harris hype. Can I take your temperatures on that? Mandy, you first. Uh, well, first of all, like you don't have to actually invest in the New England backfield if you don't want to, right? Like we're, you're not under any obligation to to throw draft picks at Patriots running backs. Um, it it can be a mess. It can be a minefield. I get that. Harris is the one guy that I have drafted, and I've drafted him repeatedly. It was easier to get him, you know, two weeks ago than it is perhaps today. Uh, like he's a pretty good player. He's not he's not a wow player necessarily, but he was good enough to keep Josh Jacobs off the field a little bit at Alabama. Like Nick Saban seemed to think pretty highly of him. Uh, I think he can be a force in this offense. And obviously with uh, with Cam Newton, the presumptive starting quarterback for that team, that's pretty friendly for the running back position in New England as well. Matt, can you not give such a lukewarm take and really get us excited? <laughs> About Damian Harris and his 2020 sophomore effort breakthrough here? Oh, hell yeah. Look, I mean, Liz, I know we were really excited about Damian Harris last year. That didn't work out. So let's stay in the present here. And, you know, the reason, Andy, that we've got to throw dart throws at the Patriots' backfield, and I realize things have obviously changed now, now that Tom Brady's not there, it's because it's one of the most productive backfields for fantasy. And Damian Harris, to me, he always struck me as like a Pierre Thomas type of player. And, you know, maybe that's like the Brandon LaFell of wide receivers. I don't necessarily think so. But (laughs) Pierre Thomas was always like, you know, he was a solid pass catcher, solid in the run game, really a do-it-all guy that was very hard to take off the field. And I think Damian Harris could be that type of player. And here's the deal, folks. Like Rich Rebar from uh, Sharp Football said it best to me. I saw him tweet this today. Like whatever Damian Harris gives you, he could give you a straight up zero. I promise it's going to be whatever better than whatever Sony Michelle gives you. And I think that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. He has a multiple skill set. He may be more dependable than extra in terms of his playing style, but pretty close to the Patriot way. Patriots huge on strategy. Fantasy requires managers who want to succeed, be big on strategy as well. So Matt, give me one nugget for fantasy managers strategy wise to use entering this crazy season yeah to me i think teams are going to be so sort of thrown off from a game script perspective i think things are going to be weird like defenses might have the edge early on and i think that you really need to just favor these guys in the backfield that have proven receiving roles. And to me, this is really an Austin Eckler tweet because at no point in this show have I really gotten <laughs> to talk about how excited I am about Austin Eckler and how all these goofballs out there are letting him fall outside of the top 10 backs. Give me a break. Like Liz talked about earlier, we realized that the Chargers offense has changed with this quarterback. And I know that people immediately will say scrambling quarterback equals less targets for a running back. And theoretically, that has been true. But Eckler 
Butler is a different kind of machine to me. He saw 28% of his targets out of the slot last year. He's not just some bunny hop little, like, dump it off to him. He's a true – I mean, this guy – you know, I'm a name drop here. I'm a name drop the guy uh, in the before times when we were working out in the gym together, me and Austin Eckler, he was complaining to me about that. I don't chart him for reception perception because that's how many routes he runs. I mean, this is not just a dump it off back. Uh, so I think he's going to be an integral part of this offense. And like to me, these are the type of players you need to target because remember, like remember when we all used to say like, oh, Christian McCaffrey, he can't be a three down back. Well, at the end of 2020, we're going to be talking about how dumb it was that people thought that Austin Eckler couldn't be a three-down back. So my strategy for you really is just draft Austin Eckler and log out. Sample size <laughs> much bigger for Austin Eckler than guys like Miles Sanders or Kenyon Drake who seem to be gain on, gaining on him in terms of 80. Even Josh so. Jacobs, too. Another guy that I'm, I'd rather take Eckler ahead of. And you, you calm down about that. Well, we can talk about that <laughs> offline. Um, <laughs> Andy, what else should fantasy managers stop caring about yeah first of all if you uh if you're playing the matt Harmon name drop drinking game you want to go ahead and drink right now we had that just occurred yeah uh, you're pretty sober am... this long into the program <laughs> give me a break <laughs> i one piece of one piece of fantasy advice that i i feel like i've given for years and it's never been more applicable or more important than it is right now is that like you just can't make plans in the nfl like long-term plans as a fantasy manager don't talk to me about bye weeks. I, did, I I wish we didn't even show a player's bye week in the draft <laughs> tool, right? Because you just can't make plans eight weeks, ten weeks in advance. Let me let me tell you something about my baseball leagues, my fantasy baseball leagues that I think is probably going to be applicable to uh, fantasy football this season. Like it took about a week and a half for me to to meet for me to fill all of my IL spots. Like, and we added a bunch in Yahoo leagues too. Um, th- this year is going to be really hard um, between. You know, a, a bunch of teams getting wrecked by by COVID, obviously, and the normal injuries that we expect in an NFL season. Like, there's going to be a lot of missed games, and we're going to hear about them late. And the idea that you can make plans, like, two months in advance. I, I'll, I'll draft this, you know, I'll pass on this high upside guy because it doesn't work in terms of bye weeks when we hit November. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. That is a ludicrous thing to do. Don't think about it at all. When you're drafting beyond, say, the fifth round... I, like, I don't even plan on a lot of those guys being on my team at the end of the year. I just want to take a bunch of big swings on high upside players, players with exceptional potential. And I'll, I'll sort out, you know, week six, week seven, week eight when we get there. The landscape is ever changing. And while we've talked about Tyler Eifert and Blake Jarwin on this show, we haven't really talked about the tight end landscape and how overall and how it has shifted rather dramatically from 2019 to 2020. I mean, at the top of 2019, I likened it to the aftermath of a Thanos finger snap. And now, because of the infusion of young talent, that chasm between the very elite, I'm talking Kelsey and Kittle, and I, like Matt, have Kittle ranked ahead of Kelsey, just by a hair, but, you know, for what it's worth. And then um, the, quote, late round draft, the late round dart throws, the potential breakout players trying to find this year's Mark Andrews. There are some players in the middle. I don't, I wrote the tight end positional primer slash preview for the website for Yahoo Fantasy. And, you know, I I did a poll and I kept hearing people say like, I don't touch tight end. I don't touch it. No, I just late round and and double digit rounds. That's when I did. And I thought, well, has anyone ever had done a mock, like actually done a mock employing (laughs) a strategy where they took Kittle in the second or they took, um, 
Hunter Henry in the fifth or sixth, and then they and then they took Mike Gusecki, say, in the double-digit rounds. Has anyone done that and seen what they ended up with? And so I did that, and that's all in the primer. Here's what I can tell you. If you are drafting out of the three or four spot, you can absolutely feel comfortable selecting either Kitty or Kittle or Kelsey. I don't care your preference. If you want the Super Bowl champ, great. If you want the $73 million man, great. Pick either of those guys as it snakes back towards the end of the second. Your team's still going to be money. There's enough depth at the wide receiver position that you can continue to hit running back and an elite tight end and still be fine. If you miss out on those guys or whiff on them, as Andy says, then I did not like the way my teams looked when I reached for even a Zach Ertz, frankly, when I tried to get Mark Andrews again in 2020. When you start to hit those guys in the double-digit rounds, things do start to pop. I will say, for what it's worth, I am continually selecting Hayden Hurst in the ninth or 10th. I really like his situation, and he is a prime late-round target at the position for me. So that was a little bit of a prediction because I do think that he is going to work out well, Hayden Hurst, in Atlanta. But we have more predictions, and I'm going to kick this one off. Then we'll go to Andy and then Matt. Mine is that Cam Newton, we're going to talk about another Patriot. Cam Newton is a top 12 fantasy producer at the position. I am not scared about it. We talked about it with Alex Weber earlier. He may be entering his age 31 season, but... Dr. Weber thinks he is going to be 100%. He's on a one-year bare minimum deal. This is the only the only advantage that Bill Belichick has not had offensively for the past 15 years is a mobile quarterback, and now he finally gets one. So if he is going to be healthy, tell me on a one-year bare minimum deal that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are not going to scheme like hell for him. He is being drafted in the 13th and 14th rounds because people are unnecessarily scurred. He's my QB 11. Don't wait for it. <laughs> There's my big prediction. Andy, give me yours. Love it. I actually, I, I actually love that call. Cam Newton, by the way, like one of the best goal line runners of his generation, almost. And he's part of the reason that I get a little bit skittish about the New England backfield. Like, I feel like Cam takes a ton of those inside the five carries. Absolutely love that call. Uh, I'm going to stick with quarterbacks. And I, I'm going to say that Joe Burrow finishes as a rookie as a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Um, he's obviously, I don't need to teach people about Joe Burrow. He's coming off perhaps the greatest collegiate season in history. Uh, he had a passer rating of 202, which is considered quite good. 60 touchdowns. That's pretty good. So he's a great collegiate player. We know that. It is very rare that a number one overall pick at quarterback comes into a situation that is as ripe as the one that we see in Cincinnati. Um, and some of that is just that A.J. Green was out the entire year, right? So he's got this dominant, like, size receiver in A.J. Green. He's got Tyler Boyd in the slot, a wonderful play who's going to deliver value at uh, at his draft position. Got a bunch of weapons. Got Mixon, got Bernard. It, it's a great situation. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. I just love it. If we'd had a normal offseason, uh, I mm. would be pretty confident in predicting that Joe Burrow would break Andrew Luck's uh, rookie passing yardage record. It's about 4,300 yards. I, like, I think he can go over 4,000 yards. I think he can challenge 28, 30 passing scores. And then the other thing about Burrow, he, he runs the ball really well. Like, we don't, we maybe don't give him enough credit for that. He he ran for 12 touchdowns over the last two seasons at LSU, over 300 rushing yards in each of those seasons. So there's a little bit of a rushing safety net here as well. Matt, take it home. 
Terry McLaurin, your consensus wide receiver 24 in ADP going in the fifth, sixth round is going to be a top 13 fantasy receiver this year. This guy is, look, I could sit here and read you off a bunch <laughs> of reception, perception nuggets, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to waste everybody's time with that. You can find him on Twitter if you'd really like to do it. But here's the deal. Like this guy, I think is the next superstar at the wide receiver position. Like I'm excited about all of these 2019 rookie receivers. Like I said, Marquise Brown, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, all these guys. But at the top of the list to me, the best player from this class is easily going to be Terry McLaurin. I think he could be legitimately when you watch him play from a contested catch perspective, from a separation perspective, he's not too dissimilar to Odell Beckham. Like I think he's that type of talent and everybody's going to be yapping about, well, Dwayne Haskins, what about Dwayne Haskins in the final three weeks of last season? Haskins went 67% completion percentage, five to one touchdown interception ratio, or 8.8 yards per adjusted yards per attempt. He was legit, like good, or at least passable. And that's all you really need for ha- for McLaurin to break out. You just need Haskins to be passable. I think he can be passable when you consider just what a mess he was thrown into last year. And it was very unfairly judged from just a lot of stupid stuff last year. People just being too hard on the guy, honestly. And look, I think when you look at this situation in Washington, Scott Turner last year, 64% pass rate in neutral game scripts last year. They leaned towards the pass even when they weren't losing. And so if you give Terry McLaurin a 23% share, which I think is being conservative given the the state of Washington's pass catcher crew right now, 23% share of those targets, it's very, very easy to get him to 80 catches, 1,100 yards. And then you're just talking about a guy that I think could be a superstar scoring 7 to 10 touchdowns way out kicking where he's going in average draft position right now. You guys, we're ending on such a positive note. I mean, think about this. In 2020, we are predicting two superstars, one receiver, one quarterback, and an incredible rebound story for one Cam Newton. I am starting to feel the silver lining surrounding me. More importantly, we did it. We made you all better fantasy players in one hour. It was that easy. Whew, anything else, fellas? Off without a hitch, honestly. Yeah, smooth <laughs> as smooth as can be. Smooth as peanut butter, I guess you could say. Um, Andy, anything else? Matt, anything else? Well, I feel like we've already mentioned Brandon LaFell twice, and I just want to make sure that we got his <laughs> name out there again. Yeah, keep an eye on that guy, deep sleeper. <laughs> Honestly, people just just go go play fantasy football this year because you know what? Here's the deal: like, if you stink this year, if your league mates just you know rip you apart, blow you out, this is the easiest asterisk year of all time. Yeah. Like, listen, that was the COVID year, man. 2020 for our league, that doesn't even count. Like, you can be talking so much junk next year, despite the fact that your team was terrible this year. You, this is a great year to play fantasy. Come this on, is another solid. Looking towards the bright side point. If you take Matt's <laughs> advice, if you haven't already, get some friends together or play with strangers. Hell, bridge some gaps. We need some of that. Whatever yeah. floats your boat, sign up for some fantasy leagues over at Yahoo Fantasy. We got season long. We've got best ball. We've got daily fantasy. All, all of the fantasy football games right at your fingertips. And if that wasn't enough and you need more fantasy advice, well, you are in luck because Scott and Dalton will be back on Monday with the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a nice rating. How about a review? In the meantime, I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons and at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Get your draft on, kids. We're out. One, two, three, four. 
Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.